giant robots smashing into other giant robots. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Giant Robots Smashing Into Other Giant Robots podcast. I'm Ben, and I'm here today with my co-host, Derek Reimer. Hey, Derek. Hey, Ben. So this is probably invisible to the listening audience, but we were talking on a Monday instead of a Friday. Yeah. This is start of week, Ben and Derek, which I'm, I wonder <laughs> if we're going to have a different vibe. I don't know. Maybe. Maybe. I don't think I have a case of the Mondays, but we'll see. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm, I'm alert because we're starting a little bit later in the morning, too. So Yeah. Maybe those, uh, those two yeah. will count, cancel each other out. Yeah. Maybe so. Cool. So how you doing? I'm doing well. Yeah, I, I'm I'm hesitant to drop the uh, the B word, the busy word, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm definitely feeling that in the last uh, week or so. <laughs> yeah, has something changed? Well, we've been shipping a lot of stuff, which is good. I feel like a lot of the projects that we're going with uh, between you know other developers on the team and our designer are kind of all coming together at the same time. You know, we're kind of like iterating on all these different things, and they've all kind of gotten ready to ship. So so that's positive Mm -hmm. in addition to that though we also have a couple new developers starting on the team Mm -hmm. so a javascript developer just started and um, he's actually moving this week he was out of brooklyn and he's uh relocating to minneapolis which is cool and we also have a new rails developer who will be starting tomorrow so we've got that going on onboarding new folks and then also just uh the usual uh scaling challenges and lots of queue volumes and figuring out database troubleshooting and all kinds of stuff. So nice. Yeah. Those sound like interesting <laughs> things to be working on. Yeah. Yeah. I wish they wouldn't all happen at the same exact time, but yeah, you sure. know, sometimes you don't, you don't get control over that. So, <laughs> uh, so you, you're hiring someone just to work on JavaScript. Is there that much JavaScript in the app? Yeah. So this is, um, I mean, we're not definitely not like a single page app by any means. Like we, we just have, we have quite a bit of JavaScript to support our interface. Obviously, like there's tons and tons of screens within the app, but a lot of it is just kind of pulling down, you know, making Ajax requests when needed, pulling down snippets of HTML, rendering them on the page. So like we're not JavaScript heavy in that regard, but we, we do have our whole workflow library, which is kind of its own, you know, we maintain it as a separate repository. It's its own library that interacts with D3 and, you know, is responsible for rendering all of workflows. So we have a bunch of things in the queue that involve like, you know, adding some, some ability to reorder items within your workflow. And there's going to be some drag and drop stuff going on in there. And so far, I'm really the only one who's deeply familiar with the inner workings of workflows. And we want to try to expand that a bit. Mm -hmm. Um, and like our, our JavaScript code base right now is just kind of like all of us contribute to it. None of us have a focus on JavaScript. So like the first thing this new hire did was um, implement linting for our CoffeeScript code, code base, which is mm. great. You know, we have RuboCop for our Ruby code base and trying to keep the, the level of quality just as high as our Ruby code base within our JavaScript code base. So. Nice. I love when someone comes in and, and kind of pushes the bar up a little bit. Yeah. You know, and says like, "Why? Why aren't we doing this?" You're like, oh, "That's I don't have a good answer for that. Let's let's do that." Right. That's one of my favorite and like, things. I, like our testing, like we don't have a whole lot of testing going on on our application JavaScript, and I'm not sure what the where the line is. Like, I, I don't feel like having 100% test coverage on all our JavaScript is going to be super valuable, but I do think there are definitely some areas where it would be helpful to have a good amount of test coverage on, like our registration flow and the flow that that hits Stripe, and you know, make sure that. We don't accidentally break something with tokenization of credit cards or something like that. Yeah, um, for sure. So that'll be good to have someone focus An on. An important that. path to keep happy. Yeah, totally. Yeah, totally. So it seems like 
your focus is on very different things today than it was a couple of years ago or like sort of towards mm. the beginning of drip are you enjoying mm-hmm. the new stuff you're working on as like as much as the old stuff is it interesting to have mm. the new challenge yeah i mean i think i think it is interesting like rewind a few years back obviously i'd never scaled anything this large or dealt with like a database with this much activity mm-hmm. so yeah it's it's interesting from a learning perspective I, I will say that like i'm realizing i am not the best person to be necessarily leading the charge on figuring out all those problems like i think my my zone of genius or whatever you want to call it is in like doing product and figuring out the best features to build and kind of architecting flows and things like that. Mm-hmm. So I'm enjoying bringing on new people to the team who are like experts on DevOps and yeah. administrating Linux servers and getting, you know, Ansible set up and all those things that I kind of did that early on and, and it was necessary. We couldn't afford to hire a whole DevOps team, you know, mm-hmm. in the early days. So it's like I kind of hacked together some puppet scripts and yeah, we can we can set up Capistrano and deploy the app that way and use New Relic for monitoring. But Actually, getting some folks on the team who are really experts in those areas has been really good because it was getting to the point where I was feeling like those things were beyond my my scope of expertise. Nice. So. Are you enjoying kind of being a, the the generalist now, the the product person and the general knowledge person of the of the team? I am. Yeah, it's always a balance, like trying to figure out how to keep the endorphin rush of shipping things and yeah. also being the person who's helping you know coordinate other people on the team. Totally. Um, and I think one of the one of the things I did in the last week actually was as I was starting out my day, I noticed there were a few relatively small things hanging out there, a few small issues that had some design work done and they just needed a little bit of back end wiring up and it was going to take maybe an hour or two to do. So I was at the decision point of I could either kind of hand this off to another person on the team, but everyone else was kind of busy at that moment. Mm-hmm. So I was like, you know what, I'm just going to pull these off and get them done. And that felt good. Like sometimes doing a... I mean, it's not technically challenging at all. It's just like implementing an object to take in some data and validate it and save it to the database. But like sometimes knocking those out and, you know, tackling a relatively easy problem can mm-hmm. just kind of help. So you're not like always working on these super meaty, heavy problems that often don't have a clear solution. Oh, yeah, you know? totally. Yeah, I think you need a mix. Yeah. And actually, I was going to ask you, like, I remember hearing that Chad, your CEO, still writes code sometimes. Mm-hmm. Is that true? Yeah, still true. Yeah. So I imagine like that must help him somewhat to feel like he's staying connected. I think he's told me straight like straight up that he's like I know that writing code for a little while isn't always the best use of my time like from the a business yeah. point of view, but it's important to my happiness and my satisfaction and so I do it anyway. Yeah. I like that a lot. I, I yeah, I remember you talking about that in the past and I think if I got to the point where all I was doing was specking out issues and answering questions and facilitating other people then I may not be super happy in that role. So. Yeah. And I think that's like, that's one of those tragedies of the maker, right? Mm-hmm. Where you tend to get put in that position where suddenly you're doing less and less of the thing that you love and are really good at. And you're thrust into this new thing that you maybe don't like and maybe aren't good at. Yeah. Or don't, don't, yeah. don't take to it quite as naturally. Right. But it sounds like you're, you're doing a good job of keeping your, your foot kind of in that. I think so. Yeah. And it's, it's constantly evolving over time. Like we're getting to the next level, adding two more developers it's going to be interesting to see how we settle into this new flow. And, um, yeah. you know, as we, you know, increase backend developer capacity, we're probably going to realize we have a bottleneck on design, kind of like we did before. So maybe like <laughs> it'll be time to add another designer to get to kind of that equilibrium. Mm-hmm. But I feel like 
that's that's kind of always the uh dynamic you have to be watching is like always trying to smooth out areas where you have bottlenecks and inconsistencies and yeah that's like a perpetual state i guess you know Mm -hmm. you're never going to reach perfect equilibrium yeah it was just something that that a question that popped in my head was around like is it possible just kind of like getting promoted into a position that you don't like as much as your old one i imagine it's possible to grow a company so much that suddenly the work that's there you don't like doing anymore Mm -hmm. like it's possible to grow it into a thing you're not into i guess yeah, no, that's that's totally true. And I think I've seen like examples of founders who have started companies and they started out as the CEO and then at a certain point they like fire themselves as the CEO mm-hmm. and move down into either just like founder in residence or <laughs> maybe they become CTO or they're just like another developer on the team working on stuff, mm-hmm. which I've I've always thought is an intriguing way to do it and like it, it's an encouraging thing that I'm seeing that happen more and more. I think Jason Cohen from WP Engine, like for the last two years, has not been the CEO. Huh. Interesting. Um, yeah, he's still the founder. He still mm-hmm. owns a big chunk of the company, but he's decided to put himself in a role where he can really shine. And I like probably that. for an for an entrepreneur who likes to start things, like being mm-hmm. the the head of a several hundred person company is not necessarily your zone of genius. So yeah, that's the second time you've used that phrase. Is that from something you you're reading? I don't know where that came, actually. <laughs> I okay. don't know. Maybe Tom can find a link. Maybe. <laughs> Dig through the, the, the mists of the internet. I'm sure I did not invent it. Um, so, yeah, someone deserves credit. But Okay. Cool. And now I'd like to take a quick moment to tell you about the sponsor for this week's show, FreshBooks. Fresh. Not previously known or used. New or different. Books. A written or printed work consisting of pages glued or sewn together along one side and bound in covers. Fresh Books, a tool for making legit invoices. FreshBooks is cloud accounting software. It's been beamed up. It's been cloudified. It's condensed into a cumulonimbus accounting dreamscape. So here's why you might want to care about this. You need to send invoices. You need to get paid. You need to know when your client has seen your invoices. If that's you, then you want to check out FreshBooks. Do you know why you should do it right now? Is because they're offering a 30-day unrestricted free trial to all of you, which is very kind of them. You can just go to freshbooks.com slash giantrobots and enter giantrobots in the how did you hear about us section, and then they will know that I sent you. Thanks. What's going on in your world? Um, got some good stuff happening. Upcase is moving along on the content side, which is really gratifying. I think we are we are basically a day away from a signed uh, statement of work with someone to make a bunch of Vim videos. Nice. Uh, which is nice. That's always been some of the more popular content on the site. Holds a special place in my heart in particular. I was going to say, were, were you the one producing all those? Uh, no, past, I'm not going to or... be producing them. Okay. Uh, we have somebody else who also does a great job. I'll say his name once that's settled. But Got it. Um, I'm, I feel good about this person's ability to produce this stuff. Nice. Um, so that's that's coming along, and like I said, Vim is special to me. I feel like, do you are you a Vim person, by the way? Do you use Vim? I'm not. Okay. No, I've never been a command line text editor user. Gotcha. I'm always uh, the GUI. Yeah. Okay. I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to harass you at some point about that. <laughs> you know what my my hold up with Vim, and this is probably just someone who's speaking from a position of not being super familiar with it, but I've always thought like my my bottleneck is not how fast my fingers can move. It's like within my brain. So like. My conjecture has been that I'm not actually going to save that much time if I give myself, you know, a faster way to 
use keyboard shortcuts and stuff like that. Yeah, but, I've been thinking about that exact thing recently, and I think I don't agree with it. I don't think it's actually quite true because mm. I think getting faster at the text part is, is very likely to keep you in flow a little bit better and help you mm. to think a little bit more uh, mm-hmm. clearly or at least, yeah, freely. Because mm-hmm. it, you do have that thinking process, which is going to probably dominate how much time you spend with your hands on the keyboard. But then yeah. as soon as you know what you want the code to look like, all that time between knowing what you want it to look like and when it looks like what you want it to look like is effectively wasted. Like, there's no yeah. benefit to being in that time. And so the more you can compress it, the better. And at the yeah. end of the day, like if you look at what you're shipping, it's all text changes. Like You're pushing diffs to a place. And so, yes, your brain is working a lot, and that's the important bit. But our medium is text, and the things that yeah. we're moving around are changes to that text. And so I think it actually is an important productivity element. Yeah, I could see that. You know, and I, actually, I was just reading the other day, so you graciously sent me a copy of The Inner Game of Tennis. I did, yeah. Which, thank, thank you for that. You're welcome. And I was, I was flipping through it as I was sitting on the couch watching the Indian Wells tournament. <laughs> nice. <laughs> My wife's a big tennis fan. Cool. Uh, I was like, appropriate. Okay, yeah, I'll pull this off the shelf. And yeah, they were kind of talking about like the, the self one and the self two and the self one is your conscious mind who tells your, your unconscious mind that controls your muscles and things to do things. Yep. And so I feel like this could be a case of that where like your, once you build up muscle memory, they know how to perform the keystrokes in the most efficient manner. Mm-hmm. So you, you let yourself one do the thinking and yourself two control the, uh, you know, the actual muscles that are hitting the keys. Yeah. And there are definitely things that if you ask me like, oh, how do you, what's the command to do this? I kind of need to like move my fingers a little bit and think, okay, I guess I'm over here hitting leader and then I'm hitting ST, I think it is. Like there's stuff that gets embedded at a physical level that stops being conscious. Yeah. As soon as someone asks me like, what's the keyboard shortcut for something? I often can't tell them. I'm like, I don't know. And then as soon as I start thinking about it, then I f- actually forget it for a moment, mm-hmm. which is crazy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so getting back to that, that so Vim has this command language. So like if you want to uh, delete three words from Vim, you say D3W. And so there's mm-hmm. this like verb count noun mm-hmm. language that permeates the editor and it's higher level than delete, 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 you know, like holding down the delete key until you notice that the cursor has gone past those three words. Yeah. And so I think, I think some of that probably also helps your brain stay in that slightly higher, higher level of abstraction Mm -hmm. where it's like, okay, I need to like grab this whole method and move it down here. And like, you can just like delete the whole paragraph, put it down, like jump to the bottom of the screen, put it down there. And you're, Mm -hmm. it's, I think it's nice to stay at that level as opposed to like maybe grab my mouse or like hold down the shift key as I highlight some stuff. Right. Uh, It's, I think that's probably a win as well. Yeah. There's definitely a number of times each day as I'm coding a lot where I'm where I'm realizing like this is not the most efficient way I'm doing this right now, but I don't want to take the time to like go look up a keyboard shortcut to make this faster, so I'm just going to do it. Sure. But yeah. Over time, that adds up, and yep. you know, at a certain point, it would be worth it for me to at least learn how to do things more efficiently in Atom, which is the editor I'm using right now. Mm-hmm. So okay, so say I did want to venture out to start using Vim. My concern is that I would waste a bunch of time, like take the productivity hit for a few weeks or mm-hmm. however long it would take to get back up to my current level of productivity. So what's the most, in your opinion, what's the most efficient way to get started with? I've it? been thinking about exactly that. So I've written a post a post on this called "Surviving Your First Week in Vim," <laughs> okay, which is about this. But the yeah. basic gist is there's a thing called Vim Tutor. If you go to any system where the where Vim is installed, you can type Vim Tutor and it will launch in like tutorial mode. And okay. walking through the tutorial only takes like 20 minutes. 
mm-hmm. and it gives you the rudiments of Vim. It's like, how do you open mm-hmm. a file? How do you save a file? How do you move the cursor around without using the arrow keys? It gives you a handful of commands, things like that. And that's not a long process. And after that, you can then do work. There's a couple other things in that blog post, like a very basic VimRC that you want, like a, a basic configuration and whatnot. Mm-hmm. But I, I think everyone has that same concern, which is like, how do I do this without losing two weeks of productivity? And I think the way to do it is to start off at home, like mm-hmm. do a little practice ahead of time to kind of get yourself up to speed and also learn how to look for help. Right. A big thing that helped me when I started was that I knew someone uh, who was a Vim user, an experienced Vim user, and I could talk to him on IRC. Mm-hmm. And I think that is really useful to like kind of get unstuck. Mm-hmm. So like hanging out in the Vim IRC channel is really useful for that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, be, being able to get fast help. But like you're you're in a good position, like for instance, because you know me. And so if you were like, send me an email, I was like, how do I do this thing? I'd be like, this is how you do the thing. And next right. time you can find the answer to that by doing this thing. Yep. So that question of how do I start using Vim at work to me is an interesting problem that I'm, I've been turning over in my head. But I would yeah. like to solve that for more people. Yeah. Did you Do you have like a cheat sheet? Like, or did you use one early on? I recommend people make their own cheat sheet. Yeah. With about, you know, seven plus or minus two commands on it that you're trying to learn. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I just keep that, like, I think you should keep that right next to your keyboard and then add stuff and scratch stuff off and, and make a new one every couple of days. There mm-hmm. are, of course, cheat sheets uh, that exist, but it, they tend to be comprehensive. And that's not right. so much what you want. It's like, here's what every key does. And it's like, well, okay, that's cool. Once you have some stuff under your belt, you can find some new things. But in the right. beginning, I think you want to make your own. What's the ramp up like? Can I, like you said, I can start being productive knowing about seven-ish commands. Is that roughly what you would like or do i need to learn 50 commands before i can be productive no definitely not 50 um okay. seven was like my amount because that's like just a, a, a nice round number or, or not round that's a, it's a nice number it's about the right amount <laughs> to be kind of learning simultaneously i think sure uh but yeah it's basically i mean it's probably under 10 things that you need to do and and the, at the end of the day like you can enter insert mode in vim and then the arrow keys work and so right. you always have this like bailout where it's like okay this is kind of like ba- if you hit i now vim is basically like a normal text editor <laughs> That's that's my default right now is just get into insert mode as quickly as possible. Uh-huh, yep. <laughs> when a Vim, when a Vim uh, window. The nice thing is, as you just as you learn a couple commands for moving the cursor around, like even it's like W moves by word, for example, you mm-hmm. you quickly start to realize like insert mode is the worst mode. Yeah. Like people that, that know what they're doing with Vim spend as much time in normal mode as possible, and that's why it's called normal mode. It's the normal mode. Right. Um, but that's where you like you can just move around so quickly and make changes so quickly. Got it. And I know like you can run some like other alternative editors in like vim mode do you ever do that or do you are you just like a vim purist in the in the terminal i haven't tried one of those in a long time okay there's a lot to vim and so a lot of the time someone's vim mode is the 40 percent of vim they thought was most important Mm, got it uh, which is different between people yep if i had a situation where i had to use a different editor like if i really needed an ide badly for some reason but mm-hmm. they had a, there was a vim mode i could use i probably would still use it uh, just mm-hmm. because i think modal editing um, is such a big win in terms of like keystrokes and time saved and all that that i would probably yeah just figure out what parts i can use and can't use and just kind of learn that but i don't okay. have a lot of experience with that okay yeah cool well maybe i'll give it a try <laughs> we should we'll, we can talk more <laughs> about that yeah yeah so vim content's on the way um, nice. Solid digression. Uh, and also, uh, I am interviewing uh, this week a candidate for content manager for Upcase, ah, okay. which is very exciting because yeah. this needs to be someone's thing. Sure. Uh, and so uh, we have a candidate that uh, I think is very promising. And so we're talking to that person. 
Very cool. Did you do a public job listing for this or was it? No, this was like a, we thought of somebody and reached out, reached out to her and and then, uh, yeah, now we're talking to her. Cool. Yeah. Also on uh, over in FormKeep land, we had a nice thing we shipped this week or or last week, I guess, that was, uh, we improved our Wistia integration. Uh, Mm. So uh, I'm friendly with the Wistia folks. I was having lunch with Brendan, who's one of the co-founders and he was, we were talking about FormKeep and he's like, you know what? I actually think we can send you some customers because they have this feature uh, where it's called Turnstile, uh, where I think you guys integrated with them recently too, actually. Yeah, we we had an integration we built with them, which was like, insert this JavaScript on your page and... It like wasn't as quite as native as if they had built their side of it. And I think recently they they finally built a, a drip integration from their end. Nice, cool. that's cool. Tur- turn style, similar thing. Yeah. Cool. So I imagine our our things probably do something similar. But basically, mm-hmm. they have customers that want to ask, like put up a custom form yep. at some point in the video and like ask for more than just an email. Like they want to ask like first name and favorite color and whatever things like that. Mm-hmm. And so uh, we actually got a link from their like official help docs. Like if you want to ask these custom things, try FormKeep. And you can basically just paste a form keep form into this into a certain field on their video editor, and up it comes. And for a while, and that works, but people often complain to us because we had to do like a full page reload to submit it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now we don't. We basically wrote a little bit of JavaScript and gave them a little script tag to drop in if you want to do this. And now you can kind of do like a Ajaxy submit the thing and immediately continue the video. Nice. That's yeah. cool. Yeah. So. It was cool because we were already actually picking up a handful of customers a month from that, and we invested a little mm-hmm. more time in it, and now it's even better. So it's nice. Awesome. Yeah. That's, those are the big things in, in my land right now. Okay, cool. So I was listening to Startups for the Rest of Us recently, mm-hmm. and Rob said kind of offhandedly that he has zero interest in growing a new company anytime soon. Mm. With the caveat that I know you have to say that you're not interested in that. <laughs> Is that the same <laughs> for you? Do you feel the same way? Um, I don't, I don't feel quite the same way. I think it's easy to, to look at where we're at right now with drip. And like I was talking about earlier, where we've gotten to this level of scale. And while I am totally locked in and 100% committed to continuing that growth of drip for the foreseeable future, you know, I am able to kind of look back fondly to the early days of mm-hmm. of drip and, and kind of the, the days where you're like, you've got a new idea you're working on, you're fleshing it out, and you're validating the market. And those are exciting times, you know, mm-hmm. um, and I think at some point I will be ready to go back to that yeah. mode. I don't know when that time will be, but yeah, I think I've got a, at least another couple of those. I mean, they can't, I think Rob talks about, you know, there is an element of stress to that and yeah. uh, you can get definitely burned out by being in that mode of like, you know, scrapping to get new customers and trying to figure out if what you're building is the right thing. And during that time you're probably burning through cash and it's you know it's it can be a really stressful time so mm-hmm. yeah definitely appreciative of the burnout that can result from that but yeah i think i will i will be ready to do that at some point interesting i've been thinking about that for myself recently because i heard mm-hmm. uh jonathan siegel who is a person that buys products he likes to buy SaaS apps that are somewhere around i think it was like 20k in mrr and grow them to 100 and then sell them like that's yeah. like his like range he likes to work in in that mrr range and yep. when I heard that, I was like, that's, I, I love that. Like, I just, I hadn't really thought of like, oh yeah, you can just sort of have that n- a niche of like size that you like and are good at. Yeah. Because I've like, sometimes I feel guilty that I'm less interested in the, in like past like the 10K mark. Like to me, I think mm-hmm. the zero to 10K is actually the most interesting. Like yeah. I, I like that stress of like, is it the right thing? And like, it's small, but you can pay attention to everybody. And like every signup is exciting. And I think that's actually where I'm happiest. 
Yeah. Uh, but I didn't know that was okay to like have a have a thing and just and, and like prefer that so much somehow. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think it is definitely a zone that you can stay within. I think it's a lot harder to do if if you're at the stage of like I have my day job and I'm trying to quit my day job and get right. to, you know, an app that supports me, then like you know, you don't have the luxury of being able to say, like, I want to build it to this certain level and then flip it and then move on to the next thing. But, you know, once you've kind of built up maybe a little bit of cash or you just have some momentum, some other streams of revenue or something, then, yeah, I could definitely see staying within that range. And Yeah, it's, it's also interesting because I, I would like to talk to maybe somebody from uh, FEI, but I, there seems to be a lot of demand for, like, people to buy SaaS apps. Yeah. And so there's an interesting range, I imagine, where you can get better multiples because more people can afford it and there's more demand and they want yep. things that are past a certain point but not you know too far that they can't get it anymore yeah um, i'm curious like I, I don't i don't know what that number is offhand but i i suspect there's a thing where it's like okay if you can get a thing to 20k a month you can like the the demand is is that's like the sweet spot and so if you decide yeah. that's your thing get it there and sell it and you're gonna get you know you're gonna do well on your on your multiple yeah so last year i went through the process of selling code tree right, which right, was right. a you know, much smaller than Drip, but was kind of in kind of in that sweet spot. It was, I think these numbers are now public from the Code Tree team right. that has talked about it since. So I think I can talk about it. It was like around forty eight hundred a month MRR, uh-huh. and it was growing by a small amount, just kind of organically. It was not like super wild growth, but enough to say that it wasn't in decline. You know, mm-hmm. and the multiple I think was somewhere around three and a half. So we settled on 128k and three, three and a half like, of revenue or uh, discretionary uh, cash flow or do you remember? Yeah, I think it was seller discretionary earnings, which is basically the net, but not including what I would be paying myself. Right. So it's like the app after you pay your bills, but not yourself. Correct. Okay, yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. And you know, in talking to the brokers at FEI, you know, they basically said like this is an app that's in the sweet spot because a lot of a lot of folks want to get into SaaS, like you were saying, but can't get a loan for a million bucks or whatever it would cost to, right. to buy an app doing much more in revenue. But it was compared to some apps out there, CodeTree was definitely well built. Like it, had, it was a Rails app, had test coverage, solid code base, design was good enough. Like there were a lot of a lot of aspects that wouldn't need to be totally overhauled. You know, compare that to like Hittail when Rob bought it. It was a classic ASP app that mm-hmm. had a lot of technical debt and hardly able to build features on it because the code base was in, you know, pretty bad shape. And it's like those types of things can't command quite the same multiple. But if you have an app that's like well-built, solid, has at least flat earnings and maybe a little bit of growth mm-hmm. and is in that range, then it's like, you know, we were able to say, you know, I want all cash up front. And mm-hmm. you know, sometimes if you have a larger app, you need to be willing to accept, you know, partial cash up front and partial paid out over time. Right. But he was like, no, 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 this one's in the sweet spot. We're in the best negotiating position hmm. um, as the seller. So interesting. That's inspiring. It's like if you can build an app that yeah. makes 5K a month, then sure, it's worth about 100,000 if you wanted to sell yep. to somebody. Yep. Totally. Huh. Interesting. Well, thanks for uh, sharing those numbers. That's useful. Yeah, you bet. And there's a there's a blog post that. Yeah, yeah. I read that. That's a good blog to, post. Yeah. I'll have to link to that. Link that one up. It's like yeah. they dive deep. It's like the purchase side. It's them talking about how they were thinking about it and, and sharing all the numbers. Yep. That was a good read. Yeah, totally. Well, I think we should uh, wrap it up. All right, let's do it. Awesome. Uh, it's fun to talk to you on a Monday. Yeah, you too, man. <laughs> get, some, get some rhymer on my Monday. <laughs> Today's show was produced and edited by Get Off My Tom Obarski. If you'd like to access the show notes for this episode, you can go to giantrobots.fm slash 233. Thanks for listening. Thank you.